on your part. All right, here we go. Welcome to the On Track and Field podcast. I'm your host, JT Ayers. On Track and Field, there's a great website. I work with them. They should work with you as well. I'm a head coach, and I'm also sponsored by them. But this is the bank thing that I'm trying to get across. I use them for all my needs as a head coach because they have the best of the best and the best customer service, and they're also match price matching and everything you need to give your athletes the best opportunity for long-lasting success. Go to ontrackandfield.com. We will hook you up. In fact, just I'm going to say right now, you don't even have to wait for the end of the podcast, but you'll listen to the whole, whole thing through. Wait till you hear my guest is. But here's the thing. Just at checkout, promo code, discount code, just write in the word track talk. Easy, 15% off right there just from listening to this podcast. You're right. You're welcome. That's the least I can do, right? All right, ontrackandfield.com with me today is Dan O'Brien. Now, this is kind of fun because I, just for being fun, can tell and say, hey, you're one of the greatest athletes ever. I'm actually going to talk to you to one of the greatest athletes ever. Five-time U.S. champion decathlete, 1996 gold medalist, world record holder, just celebrated his 30th year of breaking that world record, September 1992. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. All right. Hall of Fame in the USATF the USOC, the IWF. He's a broadcaster for everyone from NBC, ESPN, CBS. If you know and love track and field, you've heard his voice, you've been influenced by him. I have. I literally was 10, 11 years old, and I bought the Reebok pumps because Dan and Dave said I should. And that is my whole introduction into the track and field world is Dan O'Brien. So Dan, first of all, Thank you for introducing me to the greatest sport on earth. And I've been a fan ever since. And it's a joy and awesome blessing to talk to you. Well, it's my pleasure to be here. But first of all, let me tell you, that was a that was a fantastic live read there you had for On Track. Uh, uh, you know, keep it up. Hey, uh, so what's interesting is I'm going to see Dave Johnson this coming Friday. So Dave Johnson's coming into the Phoenix area. He's playing in a golf tournament that I'm that I'm playing in. And so it's Dan and Dave reunited after, oh my after 30 years. Yeah. Okay, but, you have uh, to had, take had, a picture. Had, I was going to say I had a great time, you know, uh, filming the Dan and Dave commercials. And it was, it's strange because it's not until I talk to people like you that say, Dan and Dave got me interested in track and field. And I, you know, Reebok used to say that they would send gear, uh, just boxes of gear and kit, kits out to kids who had Dan and Dave birthday parties. It was nutty. Yeah, that's, well, and that's the problem is I, I listen to the documentaries and you've done, you and Dan and Dave did a really good job with a 30 for 30 with ESPN. And I watched it, I, but they, Reebok kept saying it was such a failure. I don't understand how that could have been a failure. First of all, they're grabbing decathletes. And I don't know up until that moment, anybody even knew how many events or who did what in the decathlon, or even if they knew anything about track and field until you two. But that was not a failure. And I'm not just saying this from a consumer perspective. I'm saying this from a track and field fan. And I know you even to this day, speak so highly of Dave and highly of that experience. And I know you've learned so much and I do want to touch on some of those things. So before I get to the Dan and Dave stuff, I want to talk to you about when you look back on your career and you see so many ups and downs. In fact, I can't think of another athlete that I persevered through so many trials and mess ups, you know, accomplishments back up and down. And so University Idaho to a community college, back to the University of Idaho, failed 1992 team because you know how it in the pole vault, 
then back to win the gold, world record, 96. How are you able to accomplish all things? What kind of advice do you give people when they have to deal with these ups and downs, ups and downs, failures, accomplishments? What can we learn from your perspective in your career? You know, I think it is basic sales strategy. If you want to be successful, fail more often. <laughs> you know, and that and it's crazy to think that, but that's I mean, that's basic sales strategy. Make more calls, get more people shutting the door on you, but you know, the percentages are going to are going to favor you, but you know, I think I think one of the things that um uh, kept me going was just the dream, you know, the dream of making the Olympic team, the dream of winning the Olympic gold. I never stopped dreaming. Um, and I, you know, there were some times when I was pretty depressed and, you know, things weren't going my way and, you know, but most of those things were self-inflicted, certainly bad decisions on my part. And, you know, when I, when I look back at, you know, being a young man, you know, I, I should have started out at the junior college. That would have been the best place for me. Except, you know, I go to I go to University of Idaho, their division one in track and field. And, um, you know, it was a great program. I, I was with a lot of, you know, foreign guys on that team, had a great coach. Um, but I wasn't ready for the academic rigors of a division one school. And so I failed just like immediately, just like, oh, my gosh, you know, I didn't know how to sit in a large classroom, take notes and prepare for tests and things like that. And those are this, just things that, you know, you, you have to you have to learn. And, you know, my, my, my parents, you know, weren't, weren't people who could really educate me on, you know, how to get ready for college. And I had very limited, you know, I had very limited resources at the high school that I went to. So, yeah, I, I really struggled, had to figure out a lot of things for myself. But I also think back, it's just like, I was very, I, I wasn't mature. I wasn't mature physically at age 18. I wasn't mature mentally at age 18. Um, I just matured late. And, you know, you hear about it, it's happening now, but you know, I think I think if I went through that, if I if I was in high school today, I think the right thing for my parents to do would be hold me back one year. OK, uh, just from a from a mental standpoint, a physical standpoint. And I think it's like, oh, man, if I could have played another year of high school football, if I could have played another year of high school track and fields like, oh, dude, I would have been a blue chip, you know, all world. But I was always catching up, you know, my yeah, my my maturity was always catching up to my age and. My mom even says at age 27, 28, she, you know, every time she saw me, she thought I grew a quarter of an inch. So I still was, you know, just maturing. Um, and so, you know, while a lot of other people, you know, got had success in college and right after college, I didn't really see that success till I was 24, 25, 26. Wow. It's really interesting for you to say that because in today's day, day and age, especially as a high school coach, if you're not going D1, it's almost like you don't want to talk about it. And that maturity and that late blooming, that's really sound advice. And I know you go around the country and you talk to tons of people and you're a great motivational speaker. There's one thing that I want you to speak on. You are not shy about talking about how nervous you get and how the anxiety and like right before a competition, right before you're about to do it. And you're at the highest level and you're almost... It's very easy for us to think they never they don't deal with the things that normal people deal with. Um, you did you were so nervous for so many things, and I know you even got Dr. Jim Reardon to help you out with some of that anxiety. What have you learned and what advice do you give people now from those experiences? Well, what's interesting is I, I want people to know that really from the time I started playing sports, you know, from little league baseball to high school basketball, to football, track and field, even at the elite level, I was always nervous. Okay. And 
we're supposed to be nervous. This is what our bodies are, you know, are, are prepared to do. You know, you, you're, you, you put yourself in a pressure situation, your heart rate, your heart rate, you know, raises. Um, this is our bodies preparing to fight or flight. And for some reason, oh my gosh, we're uncomfortable. We don't deal with it. And I felt that way. I mean, I can remember being on the four by four relay in high school and my last three periods of class were just miserable, which is like, oh my gosh, in four or five hours from now, I've got to run a four by four, you know, and you just start thinking about it. But what you realize over time, especially in the sport of track and field, the run, the effort is never as great as you imagine it to be. All right. Oh my gosh, I got to run. I got to run three 300s all out of practice today. And all of a sudden you get to the third one, it's like, okay, it hurt. And I was tired and I laid on the track afterwards, but you know, it was, why did I get all worked up at one thirty this afternoon for it? So we always build it up in our, in our heads a little bit, but um, you know, just a great story, just about that nervous tension and why I learned to, I think, revel in it rather than, rather than fight against it. And unfortunately it was, you know, two thirds of the way through my career, but I was at my second world championship in Gothenburg, uh, excuse me, uh, Stuttgart, no, this third world championship, excuse me, Gothenburg, Sweden. And my coaches always knew when I was starting to feel the pressure and it's like seven days out, six days out, you know, I get a little snappy and, you know, I just, I had to just settle into a routine, eat, sleep, you know, just do what I was supposed to do. But I can remember before those world championships, uh, three, three or four nights before I told Dr. Jim Reardon, who was our team sports psychologist said, Oh my gosh, I'm just, my, the nerves are getting to me. I just, I'm not sleeping well. So the night before I competed, I went to his hotel and we had a long relaxation session where he just took me, you know, we just concentrating on my breathing and relaxing. And I got a good night's sleep for the competition. And then I got there, but I was flat. I was really flat. My hundred meters was off. My, my long jump sucked. My shot put was, you know, the worst that I'd ever done at a major competition. And it wasn't until the high jump, I remember going over to the practice track and my coach is like, you know, let me slap you in the face because you got to wake up. Okay. What, where's the intensity? Where's the, where's the fire? And so, you know, I got it back in the high jump and I managed to jump, you know, 213, almost seven feet. And then I had a decent run in the 400 meters. But what I realized in that experience was I need to be nervous. I need to feel that way. Otherwise, I'm not going to perform at a high level. And so from that point on, it was, you know, I just thought to myself, it's like, look, I, these are natural things. And, you know, I do a lot of clinics and, you know, table talks and things. And, and uh, you know, I'm with 400 meter runners, people like Natasha Hastings and, you know, current, some people who are fairly current. And the question always comes up is like, how do you deal with the nervous energy? And, um, or what do you do to stop being nervous? And the question, and the answer is you can't stop being nervous. All right. If you stop being nervous, then, you know, you're a piece of wood. All right. Mm. Actors, singers, you think Celine Dion said if she ever stopped being nervous before a performance, she, she was going to quit. That's the way we should feel before I give a speech, before I go out on stage, before I go on on camera at, at the NCAA championships. Boy, my heart's racing. We need to feel that stress and anxiety. And uh, but I think I think. What happens is the athletes who perform well are the ones who use that stress and anxiety to their benefit. Bruce Jenner used to say, you know, feet don't fail me now, but, you know, use that stress to push you to a great performance. And you certainly can do that. Pressure will bring the best out of you. 
So you do a lot of motivational speaking. What do you, what kind of lessons do you think kids nowadays need to hear? That it's okay to fail, hmm. that you're not going to win every race. You're not going to win every game. Um, and, and it's the individuals who can learn from those failures are the ones who are going to be successful at the, at the end of the year, at the end of the season. Um, you know, I, I always, I, I, one of my favorite, one of my favorite um, uh, quotes um, it just, you know, one of my, one of the guys that I used to watch a lot was um, Al Davis of the Oakland Raiders. Right. And um, you know, Al Davis wins a Super Bowl in the sixties and he wins a Super Bowl in the seventies. And then he wins another one in the eighties and they're interviewing him. Al Davis, is this your greatest victory? And, Al Davis just kind of looks at the camera and says, no, no, my greatest victories are yet to come. <laughs> and I'm like, yes. And that's the way I always felt. When I remember, I remember when I was in high school and it was graduation and kids are crying. You know, my buddy and I, we're high-fiving. We're going, yes, we're out of here. Life starts now. You know, same thing. You know, we, we, I, lose the, I lose the semifinal, you know, game in football for, to go to the state championships. And, you know, I played wide receiver. It was all state. And, you know, we lose, you know, by, you know, we lose in overtime and oh, everybody's crying and moping around. And my dad even was just like, you act like you don't care. And I was just like, you know, I do care that we lost. I wanted to win, but I got a greater victory down the road, you know, and that's what made, I think that's why I thought a little bit different than other people. It's like, I'm going to do something greater down the road. And I coach a lot of 12 year olds and 13 year old kids and their parents want to win now. I had a young kid a few years ago. He's a tennis player. 13 years old. Oh my gosh. It just it used to beat his parents up that he would lose a tennis match. And I told his parents, I said, look, do you want him to win now? Or do you want him to win Wimbledon later? You know, because he's not going to win all these ones when he's young. So, um, but I, I think I'm a great example of, you know, how I, how I used a failure to push me to success. And I think we just need to explain to kids. It's like, look, it's okay to lose. It's what makes us a better athlete. Wow, well said. Okay, so why become a decathlete? I mean, you're a pretty darn good hurdler, low 13s. Why not just pick that event and uh, not kill yourself in, in too many other events, throwing javelin and pole vault and all that nonsense? Why'd you pick the decathlon? Well, trust me, I would have loved to have been a single event athlete, <laughs> but I, I'm sure I would have gotten bored. Um, but I, you know, in high school, I long jumped, I ran the hundred, you know, I ran the 110 hurdles. I just dabbled in, in a lot of different things. And then when I got to be a junior and senior, I concentrated mostly on sprints, long jump and hurdles. And, um, but I got bad grades in the ninth grade. And my mom had a rule that if I got anything lower than a C, I couldn't participate in the uh, sport that season. Got a D in social studies and I couldn't run track my freshman year. And I remember I had to walk by the track to get home. I, you know, whether I rode my bike or my motorcycle or whatever. And, and every day I go by and there's all my friends running track and field and it just beat me up. And um, a counselor and, I, and my pottery teacher, a guy by the name of Larry Hunt, said, uh, you know, he was, he was on me. He saw that I had some ability and he and I got to be good friends. And he said, oh, man, let's get this grade up. I'll help you. You can come to the office, you know, right after school. We'll go over your social studies homework and so he helped me out and I got the grade up by the end of the year. And so he's, you know, he, he went out of his way, came to my house and said, Hey, Mrs. O'Brien, you know, Dan got his grade up. There's a summer decathlon. Can I train him for that event? And so Larry Hunt, my pottery teacher introduced me to the decathlon. And 
I didn't know what it was, but all I wanted to do was just run track. It's like, if I can do one track meet, you know, I'll jump through fire to, to do a track meet here. And we started training for this. We started training for this decathlon. And every day we'd pick two events. He would pick two and I would pick two. And we would practice and compete in those two events. And he's a pretty spry guy, you know, at this time. And so I would pick two of my favorite events, events I knew I could beat him in. He would pick two events that he knew I needed to work on. And so I did my first decathlon in the ninth grade. And I can remember finishing and just saying, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> and then the next year rolled around and I did it again. And the next year. And so I found myself at the Junior Olympics uh, Championships in Los Angeles Coliseum in 1984. And I got fourth place. And the guys that beat me, um, the guys that beat me were all freshmen in college. And so I got like, you know, I got the number four ranked junior in the country that year. And then I went to college and I ran mostly 400s and high hurdles. But the coach always knew that he was going to train me for decathlon. So, um, you know, that's how I got introduced to decathlon. But I, it's, it's one of those things where it wasn't my first choice. It wasn't my favorite choice, but it kept presenting itself as the right choice. Um, even the 1988 Olympic trials, I qualified just on sheer ability. And I thought, this is my last decathlon, 88 Olympic trials. I'm going to go on a long jump. I'm going to hurdle. And then I meet Jackie Joyner and Bob Kersey. And they said, you could be the next great American. I don't know why you, I don't know why you're trying to get out of this. Embrace it. You know, you, Carl Lewis is 29 foot long jump. All right. Yeah. You're not going to beat him. You know, you, 13 flat, you know, 13, two, 13, three is not going to get you anything, but you could be a really great decathlete. And so coming home from those 1988 Olympic trials, I decided, all right, I'm going to stop trying to get out of it. And literally what's amazing is I think about that three years later, I was a world champion three years later by just declaring it. Wow. It's fun to hear that the Curseys were that involved back then because they're still huge, making huge waves in the track and field community yes. now with who they're coaching. Bob Kersey is out of his mind. Might be one of the greatest track coaches of all time, especially yeah. after the sprints. So when you look back on your career and you look at the decathlon, <clears throat> I just have to ask you because no one has, what was your favorite event and which one was the worst out of the 10? So I had a lot of favorites, you know, but, and it was interesting because there were years when, you know, man, I was, I was always an eight meter long jumper, um, you know, over 26 feet and there, and then there, I, I, I loved the throws, shot put, discus, jab, loved learning about them, but I, I was a quarter miler. In my mind, I was a 400 meter runner. I trained for the 400. I was never afraid to train for the 400. And I knew if I was a good 400 meter runner, then my hundred meters and my hurdles and all the conditioning for the events would, would go a lot better. But, you know, I think probably the favorite was the high hurdles. You know, I, I would go to the Modesto relays and always run the high hurdles or the Bruce Jenner classic or the, or the, you know, the Mount Sac relays always run the high hurdles. My least favorite, you know, this is, a, it's easy to say it's 1500 meters. Why? Because I wasn't a distance runner. I didn't mind, you know, distance running when I was younger, but, I needed to train for the 1500. I couldn't just let my overall conditioning, you know, get me through in the 1500 meters. Like a lot of guys, I needed to train for it. And when I trained for it, uh, I ran pretty well. Well, you always had your, you know, you, your face always showed your emotions. Like you wore it on your sleeve. You could tell the 1500 was not your favorite. That was pretty fun, but you know, it's kind of hard because it seems like that's no one's favorite. Cause it's the last thing and everybody's on the ground and dead at the end. Um, so when there's one story in particular I want to ask you about, and it's my favorite track and field story in, ever been told, and no one's asked you follow-up questions that I can found. Um, 
when you go and you win gold, you're having trouble with the javelin. And you walk over and there's Dave. He happens to be there and Dave gives you, because his best event, or at least one of the ones he was so good at, was the javelin. And he gives you a recommendation. And you, even in some of the interviews I've heard from you, is you're like, Dave just being there gave me a calming presence, but also his affirmation encouragement to grab that particular javelin and throw it helped me. Um, you mind walking us through kind of like sure. you weren't rivals. You guys were teammates in that moment. Yeah. And so it was, what was interesting is, you know, we went through the, we went through the Dan and Dave in 1992. I don't go to the Olympics. Dave does, you know, he wins the bronze medal and then he disappears from the decathlon. Basically, you know, he, he tried to get back in it in 1993 and had some injuries. And then he kind of, he, you know, I expected him to be there in 94, but he just kind of faded out um, in those, in those in between years. And so going into the 96 games, it was, you know, it was, it was all about me. And, um, but I just, I was super surprised. I didn't expect to see him. I hadn't talked to him and there we are on the ninth event. And there's a lot of stuff going on during the track meet while I'm throwing the javelin. Michael Johnson wins the Olympic gold in his gold shoes in the 200 meters. Um, I mean, the place is going crazy. And I go over to the stands where my coach is in between javelin warm-up throws. And Dave's wearing this awesome red, white, and blue jersey. And, you know, hat on backwards, Oakley sunglasses. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what is Dave doing here? And so, you know, what's interesting is Dave, you know, wants to tell everybody that he gave me javelin tips, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <of course. laughs> but my, you know, my coach is just like, you know, Hey, I got this and coach Sloan and I were locked in, but Dave, um, you know, the winds were doing something squirrely and, and, uh, you know, while I was over there talking to my coach, Dave was just like, man, throw the 90 meter Nemeth, the 90 meter Nemeth. It's a nice stiff javelin. It'll cut through the wind and, and what's cool about it is you get your choice of a hundred javelins out there. They literally have every brand on this big cart and you just go over and pick it out and you can't miss it because it's purple and yellow. And so, man, I, I picked it up and it just felt right. And it's like, you know, I'm going to throw the Nemeth today. And I always try to throw a 90 meter javelin just because it is a little bit stiffer, but some of them have different tips, your sharp nose tip, blunt nose tip, stuff like that. But that was Dave's contribution to my Olympic gold medal is I threw the 90 meter Nemeth and uh, got a personal best on my final throw. And I needed to have a personal best because Frank Boosman from Germany, he had personal bests all over the place. And I thought, you know, if I can beat this guy in the javelin, he had like a 10 foot personal best in the javelin. And I was like, come on, man, this is crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's going crazy. And I just used the crowd and the motivation and it, it just, uh, I hit, I hit my block and boom, there it went. Well, it's not every day you get to talk to literally one of your heroes. Dan, you've been an inspiration to so many for so many years. I'm 40 and I was 10 rooting for you. And I can't tell you enough, man. It's been really cool watching your career, how vocal you are, how good you are at broadcasting, by the way. Um, you continue to do that. Is that something that you're going to continue to do and, and you find a lot of joy in? Absolutely. I, I just I got away from the sport a little bit when I retired. And, you know, I, I, I officially retired in 2002 and I really didn't do anything around the sport of track and field and, and USA track and field brought me back in to do some on field stuff and, um, you know, just interview athletes in between events at USA track and field meets. And I realized like Steve Fritz was coaching at Kansas. Chris Huffins was a cow. I had all these guys that I competed against and with that were different places coaching and, 
it really inspired me to just get back into the sport of track and field. And so I took a volunteer position at Arizona State and I stayed there for eight years. Absolutely loved it. Didn't think I was going to kind of go the coaching route as a, as a profession. So I got out of it, but that allowed me to do more broadcasting, do more appearances, uh, special guest type uh, training situations. Um, and it's just, I, you know, what I realized is this is the essence of who I am, man. I'm a track and field guy. And I just, you know, got back from the world championships over the summer and couldn't, you know, couldn't wait to get home and think about what can I do to, you know, get back into high level track and field. I, you know, it's fun coaching junior high kids and high school kids, but man, to have somebody in the race at the world championships, have somebody out there that you're, that you're helping accomplish those goals. That's the next best thing to actually doing it yourself. And broadcasting is just one step behind that. So I absolutely love it. I just signed my contract to do, um, you know, four college meets and, and, uh, and the world championships next year. Oh, awesome. Well, if you need any help, um, let me know. <laughs> I'm coming out and I could be your entourage. And again, if anybody's listening, you just heard Dan say he'll coach you. So make sure you get, <laughs> figure out how to get in contact with him. Um, where else can we follow kind of like where you're going in your career, who you're helping, things we can learn from, motivational speaking, kind of just walk us through where we can get in contact with you or at least become greater fans. You bet. So I'm, uh, I'm stepping up my social media presence this year. I Instagram, uh, Facebook, don't do a lot on Twitter, but um, uh, I'm, I, it's one of those things I said this year, I'm going to step up my social media presence. So, you know, follow me on IG. I'll, I'll give some, uh, I give, I'm giving great tips throughout the week, just motivational type things. Um, but also, um, you can find me, my website's danobryan.com. I'll be posting more of my appearances there. Um, but also, uh, I've, I've, got a, um, I've got a new job where I oversee a performance training center in East Mesa, Arizona, called Bell Bank Park. Uh, I run Legacy Performance over there. And you can find Legacy Performance uh, online, LegacyPerformanceAZ.com. I'm just finishing the website. Should be up in another, another week or two. Yeah, you also have a pretty good website that I was looking at all the stuff for just Dan O'Brien, and it was really well done. Um, can't thank you enough for coming on and being able just to talk with you. I, I'm actually a fan, so I'm I'm writing notes because some of the things <laughs> you're saying, I'm going to have to go back and listen to the podcast. So this podcast is brought to you by OnTrackAndField.com and RelayBatons.com. Stay just real quickly afterwards. He's not the world's greatest athlete, but Steve is the world's greatest CEO. And so you can, he's the voice you'll hear and he'll give you in contact about how to get further plugged in with the world of on track and field and um, relaybatons.com. And just as a gift after the podcast, Dan, we're going to send you a gift just for uh, coming on and just want to say thanks. Thanks for all that you do. And we're looking forward to the next time we get to talk. Well, I thank you. Uh, I had a good time. It's always nice when you connect with you know i think a, a track fan as big as yourself and you know i, I can tell man you you're a you're a you're a guru a track and field guru <laughs> and you coach it but you also uh you know i also know that you, you absolutely love it appreciate you man well steve with that take us out thanks jt and thanks to our guest olympic gold medalist dan o'brien for joining us on this week's on track and field podcast the on track and field podcast is powered by relaybatons.com custom engraved and meet and competition legal relay batons perfect for team branding athlete and meet awards coaches and senior gifts and custom engraved water bottles and tumblers the perfect way to keep your team hydrated and on track and field.com your one-stop source for all things track and field and cross-country relay 
related. Hurdles, starting blocks, pole vault, and high jump pits. Stopwatches. We've got you covered for successful cross-country and track season. And now offering a full line of Brooks, Saucony, On, and New Balance running and competition shoes. And now, you can save up to 50% on your entire order when you use the words Track Talk at checkout. Some products not eligible for the discount. And make sure to check us out on our socials at OnTrack, the letter N, Field, at OnTrack and Field, on Twitter and the Gram. 